Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. We have launched from this text of Scripture for six or seven weeks now, and we'll do it for a couple more weeks after today. But I want us to read again together 1 Timothy chapter number 6. We'll start in verse number 17. I will not explain these three verses in detail because I have explained them in detail for a number of weeks now, and you can go on the website, and you can listen to that, and you can hear them there, but I do want to read them together. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Verse number 18, that they do good and that they be rich. That's where we got the title for this series, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute and willing to communicate or willing to share. So the bottom line is the Bible says, do more and give more, be rich in good works, and also be, be generous, be ready and willing to share. Verse number 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The biblical instruction for us that we're examining over the month of November is this idea of being rich in good works. It's the idea of doing good, the idea of ministering, of serving, of putting your spiritual gifts to, to use. So uh, we've, we're covering this topically, and today we're actually going to take a passage of Scripture, about 11 or 12 verses from 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read it right now, but we'll be there in a moment, so you can kind of get there and put your, your finger in that passage of Scripture, and we'll be there in a moment. But we're going to begin to discover a little bit more about what it means to be rich in good works, what it means to minister, what it means to work as unto the Lord. Last week, if I could encapsulate it in one brief thought, it's that you were made to minister. If you're a Christian, you are literally, you are saved, you are created for, you are equipped for, you are called to minister. You're meant to serve. You are meant to find fruitfulness and fulfillment through your service. And today I want to press deeper into that and help you discover what spiritual gifts are and how you can be most fulfilled as you do serve in ministry. And we're going to examine 1 Corinthians 12 to do that. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 12 if you're there. I want us to bite off a few verses. It'll take us a little while through the sermon before you really understand how this connects back to 1 Timothy 6, but we'll get there, I promise you. I want you to understand a little bit about 1 Corinthians before we dive into a few verses because we're going to catch the book kind of midstream. <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church at Corinth, and this church really is notorious for being off the rails there's a lot that he has to set in order there. There's a lot that they are doing wrong. You'll catch it right away in verse number one as we look at this, that there's this tone of reproof. There's this tone of please don't do that it, all throughout this, this book of the Bible. And this is no different. Paul has just left 1 Corinthians 11 correcting this church on the Lord's Supper. They were doing it all wrong. They were doing a good thing, but they were doing it wrong, so they were worse off for it, and that is possible. And now he's going to talk really for three chapters about spiritual gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all meant to, to really piece together to be this conversation on spiritual gifts. And if I could give you just kind of a, a title or a thought for today, it would be really discover your gift. And I want you to see what this means, some instruction that's there for you that I think will propel you and really help you when it comes to being rich in good works and using yourself inside of ministry and even seeing the Lord use you inside of ministry. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 1, Paul's going to give us some powerful truths 
about ministering, about serving, about doing that really in the Lord's power and how he's designed you to do it. And he's going to start off with this, what I would call description of the gifts. He starts in verse number one and, and kind of switches topics. And he says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. So Paul describes what these gifts are, and he describes them as spiritual gifts. This uh, word gifts is, we would say in the English way, charisma. It's rooted in the Greek word charis, which means grace. And Paul says, here are these gifts, and they're not just any old ordinary gifts. They're not gifts wrapped under and put in under a tree for Christmas time. These are spiritual gifts. These are gifts of the Spirit. These are grace gifts, and this is what I want to talk to you about. And he says, specifically, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now, can you catch the tone there? I know if someone told me, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant, there would be a a corrective tone there, right? And Paul says, look, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want to give you some knowledge. I want to give you some instruction. I want to give you what you need to know about spiritual gifts. I want to take what's disorderly, and I want to put it in order, and I want to help you here. Now, the ironic thing about this particular passage of Scripture is that many Christians that I've met are entirely ignorant about spiritual gifts. And Paul wrote three chapters of the Bible to help us not be spiritually ignorant about spiritual gifts. So this really, it's not a one-off sentence for Paul. This is a major topic that he addresses for, ch- for several chapters of Scripture. And he says, look, I, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, I can tell you from personal experience that ignorance can be costly, So someone has said, I don't know who, but someone along the lines thought of it, that ignorance is bliss. Whoever that was lied, okay? That's wrong. (laughs) Ignorance can be devastating to you. I was 15 years old, and I had a pretty major surgery on my chest and and sternum, and I'm not going to go into the specifics of why and how and this and that, but the bottom line is that they put a a metal rod in my chest for a couple years, and then they removed it a couple years later uh, to, to help with a few things. And so I had that at 15. Fast forward a year later, I'm 16. And I've recovered from the surgery. It was, it was a major ordeal, but I've recovered. And my brothers and, and I, we mowed lawns during the summer in our neighborhoods. And topographically, our neighborhood was much like this area of, of western Pennsylvania. A very hills, we called them the knobs. A very hilly, lots of, uh, lots of trees. There would oftentimes be pastures with cows and things like that. But we would go mow lawns. Now, I had the habit of weed eating the lawns, and my brother would typically, my younger brother would ride the riding lawnmower. He liked the mower because it was easier. I liked the weed eater because it was faster. So I would get done weed whacking. I'd put it on the trailer. I'd give him the keys. He could drive home, and I would, I would jog home, and I would oftentimes take a basketball, and I would dribble at home, you know, a mile, two miles. I don't know what it was, but I would, I would dribble at home on one particular day. I'm dribbling my basketball on my, on my jog home, and it hits a rock, and it goes under this fence, a barbed wire fence. So I, not thinking anything of a barbed wire fence, I, I put one foot on the bottom, and I put another one on the top. I'm going to climb over it and get my basketball. And I was ignorant of the fact that this was an electric fence. Now, most electric fences are just straight wire. You don't oftentimes have barbed and electric together, but I guess this particular I don't know, farmer or whoever he was, he really wanted to be safe that these cows didn't get out. So it was barbed and electric, and I did not know. So here I am climbing halfway over this fence with a metal rod on my chest on an electric fence. And there, there wasn't a lot of voltage, I'm sure, but I'd, I, can't, I can't accurately describe to you the feeling that I felt and what happened inside of me, but it was like an explosion went off from the inside out in my chest. And the next thing I know, I'm just, I'm laying on the ground. I, I didn't pass out, but I'm just, I'm laying there. 
Just like, what happened to me? Like, how did I get here? And I left the ball, and I just started walking home. I didn't even jog. I just started walking home. My older brother actually passed me on that walk home, and I tried to get him to stop, but he just honked and kept on going like a good (laughs) older brother would do. But I can tell you from personal experience, that ignorance cost me. It hurt me. Okay, education may be costly, but ignorance can be devastating. And Paul says, I'm going to talk to you about gifts. And these gifts, they're spiritual gifts. They're gifts of the Spirit. They're grace gifts. And I don't want you to be ignorant. I want to give you some knowledge to help you when it comes to spiritual gifts. And this, this was vital for them in Corinth. This is vital for us today. There are some potent truths that really will help us in ministry that I want to unearth this morning. Verse number two, he's going to talk about the distinction of the gifts. He says this, Ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Paul says, let me help you distinguish something here. Remember when you were Gentiles? You were carried away under these dumb idols. There was nothing there. There, there, was, nothing, uh, there was nothing of substance there. And, and you were carried away as you were led. You were, you were led around ignorantly. He says, remember that before you knew the Lord Jesus Christ or you were just kind of led around ignorantly? I don't want that to happen to you. So let me give you a great watershed for spiritual gifts. Let me give you a great qualifier to distinguish what's of the Lord and what's not. And Paul's going to, in a very terse way, say, here's the biggest piece of advice I could give you to help you distinguish if something is of the Spirit or not. Verse number three, he, he says, I give you to understand. So don't be ignorant. Understand this. No man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus a curse. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Paul says, you want to know if something is of the Spirit of God or not? What does it do with Jesus? What do they do with Jesus? He says, you cannot, you can't say that Jesus is cursed and claim I'm of God at the same time. And you're not going to say that Jesus is Lord and not be of the Spirit. See, the devil will counterfeit many things, and he'll deceive you in many things, but the devil will not bring himself to admit that Jesus is Lord. He's not going to do that. He will one day, but he's not right now. And Paul says, you want, to, you want a watershed? You want to be able to distinguish if something is spiritual or not? If that neighbor who seems like, I'm not sure if they're off the reservation or not, they, they seem spiritual, and they talk, about, they talk a good game, but I can't really tell. Okay, here's how you tell. You ask them, what do you do with Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Was Jesus God in the flesh? Did Jesus die for our sins to to pay the penalty for our sins? Is salvation through Jesus Christ? That's how you determine if something is spiritual or not. It's what do you do with Jesus Christ? This is what John says in 1 John. Very similar thing from a different author via the Spirit of God. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because false prophets are gone out into the world. So, hey, don't believe everybody. There's false prophets out there. So how do I know if they're a false prophet or not? Well, John tells you. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore ye have heard that it should come. John says, look, here's how you know. What do they do with Jesus? Do they tell you that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he was here, he was actually, he's the Messiah Christ come? Is that what they're attesting? Or are they saying that he was, you know, just some, some sort of spirit or some sort of lower deity that came? You, you want to know that person that maybe knocks on your door if they actually have a measure of truth or not? The easiest way, what do you do with Jesus? 
What do you believe about Jesus? That's, that's how you cut through all the fluff and you realize if something is of the Spirit or not. Now, I want to give you one other truth that coincides with this. John writes elsewhere in his gospel about the Spirit of God and Jesus and how they are meant to exist. Here we go, John 15. When the comforters come, this is Jesus talking, when the comforters come who I'll, who I'll send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, so the Spirit guides into truth, which proceedeth from the Father, Jesus says this, Jesus says, the Spirit shall testify of me. So the Spirit is going to talk, speak of Jesus. He says a few verses later in John 16, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into truth. For he shall not speak of himself. Now that's important. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall speak. He'll show you things to come. He shall glorify me. Now, what, what is the Bible saying here? It's giving you a very valid truth concerning spiritual gifts, the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ. What it's telling you is this. And let me qualify this before I say it. I love the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of me. I can rejoice in the Spirit of God. I believe that I could say with the prophet Isaiah this morning that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. But any movement or any church or any book that wants to uh, emphasize and shine a spotlight on and just completely put the Holy Spirit as a figurehead is off base biblically. The Spirit of God is not meant to speak of himself, but he's meant to testify of Jesus. He's meant to glorify Jesus. He's meant to promote Jesus. So if, if there's some denomination or some church or something that has the Holy Spirit as a figurehead and they constantly put the spotlight on the Spirit, no, there's something awry there. That's not how it's supposed to be. The Spirit speaks of Jesus. That's why I love the song this morning. We got up here. They did six of them. They sang. And what did they do? They praised and they extolled and they worshiped Jesus. That's what true worship is supposed to be. I would put it this way. If you were to see a spiritual parade going down Freeport Road in Eternal Heights today, you would not see the Holy Spirit leading the parade. You would see Jesus front and center on top of the biggest float on that parade and the Spirit of God would be in the audience with the rest of you saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And Paul says, let me help you distinguish this spirituality. Let me help you distinguish what's of the Spirit and not of the Spirit. I'll tell you if it's of the Spirit by what it does with Jesus Christ because the Spirit is meant to testify of and to glorify Jesus Christ. That's the role or the, one of the job descriptions, so to speak, of the Spirit of God. Paul continues, and he says, let me give you the diversity of the gifts. So I'm going to describe them to you. They're gifts of the Spirit. They're spiritual gifts. Let me give you a distinguishing factor. You, you know what to do with this, what, what it does with Jesus. But let me give you the diversity of the gifts, four, five, and six. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but the same God, which worketh all in all. Now, these are meant to be together. You can sense a, a cadence in the scriptures here. Paul says that there are different, verse number four, gifts. There are different, verse number five, administrations. There are different, verse number six, operations. But then he uses a different member of the Godhead in each one. Verse number four, same spirit. Verse number five, same Lord, Jesus. Verse number six, same God, Father. So Paul, what is Paul saying here when he's giving us the diversities of these gifts? Well, he's saying three things, something different in each verse. He's saying that there's different provisions, but they're all from the Spirit. So hey, look, verse number four, there, there's a diversity of gifts, of these, these provisions, of these gifts that, that have been given to us, but it's the same Spirit that gives them, gives them out. Different gifts, but same gift giver. 
Verse number five, there's different purposes, but they're all for the son. He says that there are differences of administrations, or there's different tasks, there's different purposes designed behind these gifts, but the same Lord. So the Spirit gives different gifts, and these gifts are intended for different tasks or purposes, but they're all meant to, from the Spirit, they're all meant to be for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Lord, and there's different powers, but they're by the Father. Verse number six, there are diversities of operations. Now that word operation is where we actually get our English word, uh, the Greek word there is where we get our English word energy. They're saying there's, there's different energy here, but it's all by the same God. What, what Paul is saying is that you have a gift, it's intended for the Son, and th- there's power from the Father for this. You have a grace gift, and you also have the grace to operate it. Okay, I'll put it this way. God does not give you a gift and then say, battery's not included, at the end of the commercial. <laughs> there's power there. There's energy there. There's, there's, there's the ability to operate it. It's not just, here's a gift, figure it out on your own, but it's more than that. There's grace for the gift, and there's grace to actually operate and power this gift that's intended for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is, but they're all different. Different gifts and different tasks behind these gifts, and, and, and they're even powered differently. There's diversity there. And then he says this in verse number 7, which is really where I want to press in, the design of these gifts. This is a short, a short verse, but so vitally important. He comes off of this diversity. He says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now, what is Paul saying here? What's the Bible teaching us here about not being ignorant about our spiritual gifts? So there's, there's manifestation of the Spirit given to every man, and it's meant to profit with all. Well, first he's saying there's a manifestation. Paul is saying, basically, if you're a child of God, if you're saved, you're a gifted child. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have been given a manifestation of the gift, a gift that's meant to be developed, a gift that's meant to be used. If you're a member of God's family, he has wrapped up a gift inside of you. And you may not have ever known this, and you, you, you may have walked in the room completely ignorant of this fact. This is why the passage is given, to help you not be ignorant of the fact that there's a manifestation inside of you. There's, there's something there. Now, what this means is that if you're a Christian, you have something to offer the cause of Christ. You have a part to play. You have a role to fulfill because the manifestation is given to every man. So this is given to you. I would say it this way. Everybody is a 10 in some area. My dad loves to 1 to 10 scale things. You know, 1 is horrible, 10 is the best, and he'll 1 to 10 scale it. I have picked up on that, and that just kind of naturally comes out of me via my dad. If you were to 1 to 10 scale it, everybody that's been saved is a 10 in some area. Now, this teaches you a couple things. Number one, it teaches you that you're valuable. You are meant to play a part in the cause of Christ. You are meant to play a part in church. You're meant to play a part in ministry. You're designed for that, equipped for that. You're a 10 in some area. It may not be my area or your neighbor's area or, your, or the person sitting next to you or your spouse's area, but you, you're a 10 in some area. You have value. You have something to offer. You bring something to the table. You're meant to be a productive member of the body. So don't think you're ungifted. 
Don't tell yourself the lie that I'm not gifted and I don't, I don't have anything and I'm not very talented. I have nothing to offer. You know, really that's designed. All those other people, they're serving and they're teaching and they're, they're doing this. And that person, he evangelized and led his coworker to the Lord, but I just couldn't do that. I'm not gifted. That's a lie. You are, it's not a lie just because I'm telling you so. It's a lie because the word of God tells you so. It tells you that you are, there's a gift wrapped up in you. There's a manifestation for you. There's, you have a part to play. Some people think this, I'm not worthy. Okay, if that was true, I'm not worthy to receive a gift, a grace gift from God. You know, that's, that's right and wrong. You're right because none of us are worthy. You're wrong because God has given you one, and apparently he thinks that you are. He's given you one. Alexander the Great had a servant that he gave a gift to. And the servant said, the, the gift is too great for me to receive. And Alexander the Great replied back, it's not too great for me to give. And if you feel that way, like I just, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I'm at presently. You don't know what I did last night. It doesn't matter. God has given you a gift if you're saved, and he, and he wants you. He intends that to be used for his glory and for the building up of the church, and you're a 10 in some area. So, so tell yourself that. It also is meant to teach you that other people are a 10 in some area. So this means that you don't look at, at anyone inside of the church or anyone that's a Christian and say, well, I don't think that they offer enough. They don't bring enough to the table. I don't see any value. I don't see what they're contributing. It may be that they haven't discovered their spiritual gift yet, but there's value there. They are a 10 in some area, and there, there, is, there is no, there's no last pick on the team of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Flashback. I know it's going to be painful for some of you, but flashback to PE and recess as a kid, Right? Some of you, don't raise your hands, but some of you know what it was like to be last pick. Some of you know what it was like to, to pick the last pick, okay? By and large, what's last pick? It's, I'm sorry if it was you. I really am, okay? It's going to be, I'm going to give you a great spiritual analogy to wrap it up, but what's last pick? It's the person that really, no one really wants on their team because you're going to be on the team, but you're going to hurt the team more than you're going to help the team. You know, you're going to be on team A, but you're going to be team B's MVP. That, that's what last pick is, Okay? There is no last pick on Team Jesus. Everyone is a 10 in some area. Everyone brings something to the table. Everyone is valuable in some way, shape, or form. So th this is a, a vital truth to understand that you've been given a spiritual gift. It's been manifested to you if you're a child of God. So you have one. Okay, let me go beyond that. There's variation. He just said in 4, 5, and 6, basically there's different gifts. There's, there's, there's different administrations, there's different tasks for these gifts, and they're, and they're powered differently, but everyone has one. So there's variation. Manifestation, yes, you have one. You have a part to play, you're a 10. But variation, there, there are differences there. We're all, we're all shaped differently, spiritually. We're all given a spiritual gift that is different from other people. What this teaches us, I think, is, is vital. Inside of ministry, function follows form. Now, what do I mean by that? Architecture is opposite. If we were to, and we actually do have some plans uh, for, we'll probably tweak them eventually, but we have some plans on the grass knoll straight across the lobby to put an, an auditorium. This is great. I, I love that we get to have church right here, but there are some downfalls to a multi-purpose room. 
Not, most churches don't have basketball goals hanging up. And if you never notice they're there, surprise, there's basketball goals over there. We use it as a gym too. There are downfalls to a multi-purpose room. Acoustics. The acoustics in this room are terrible. We've tried to make them as good as we can, but they're just terrible. They are. Our, the singing, the noise is just swallowed up. If, if, when, if and when we put up an auditorium over there on that, on that piece of grass, you know what will happen? Function won't follow form. Form will follow function. We'll say, here's how we want the building to function. We want the acoustics to be amazing. So they will form and design and lay out the blueprints for the building based on the function that we want, right? Now, your spiritual gift and ministry is the opposite. Function follows form. God has designed you in a specific way. He has wrapped up a spiritual gift inside of you. He's created you for ministry in a specific task in a specific way. So your function follows how God has formed you. You don't get to custom build your spiritual gift. There is no store like Build-A-Bear where you go get to make it and, and choose what you want. You, God has put it in you, and it's, it's your job, my job, to discover that spiritual gift and then to begin to function in light of and in line with that spiritual gift because function follows form. You say, okay, well, then how do I discover my form? How do I know how God has built me? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> the most practical advice I could ever give you to help you discover your spiritual gift is you just start serving. You get plugged in and you start to minister, and it will become apparent, and you will begin to learn how God formed you and what your spiritual gift is. You're never going to learn it by sitting in a pew just writing on a, on a piece of paper and taking notes and trying to, trying to pray about it. You, you discover it by actively getting into ministry. And some of you would get into children's ministry, and that kid would come to you with, with tears and snot and all this, and you'd look at them and say, I really don't care that much. And you'd know, mercy's not my spiritual gift. Others of you, you know, you pass, you know, a cat on the side of the road and you'll spend four hours chasing down that cat trying to make sure it has a home because you're merciful in that way. You begin to discover as you serve. That's the best advice I could give you. And as you discover your form, then you'll specifically discover your function and God will begin to show you what you're designed to do. Ever had a teacher or a pastor, or a preacher, you know someone that got up, and they, they spoke God's word, and it was great. But they said somewhere along the lines, I was scared to death to get up in front of people. I was so timid and shy, and I never thought that I could have talked in front of people. But there they are, talking to you, and it's great. Ever, ever had someone like that, heard someone like that? I have. What's that person saying? I would have never guessed that God formed me in this way. But I began to discover that God had formed me, and he did intend for me to preach or to teach or to do this. And so I began to function how he formed me, and you reap the benefits of them discovering their spiritual gift and employing it. So function follows form. How do you discover your form? You get involved. You fill out a ministry menu. You begin to serve. You begin to do something, and it will become more clear to you. Thirdly, intention. There's the manifestation. We all, we all have it. If you're saved, you have a spiritual gift. There's variation in these, but there's also an intention, and this is vitally important, the end of verse number seven. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. What is that saying? It's meant to profit the other people. It's meant to benefit. The intention behind your gift is not really for you. It's for other people. The intention that God has for your spiritual gift, or even gifts, I could say that some people have plural, the intention there is that you would use it 
to profit the body of Christ. You're given a spiritual gift so that you can use it for the common good, not so that you can be self-absorbed, not so that you can be self-centered, not so that you can be introverted with your gift, but so that you can use it for the edifying of the body of Christ. It's designed for mutual encouragement. I could say it this way. Your spiritual gift is for not your enjoyment, but your employment. Your spiritual gift is not a tool to play with, a toy to play with. It's a tool to build with. That's your spiritual gift. It's not to be some toy that you play with. It's a tool to build with. It's meant to edify the body of Christ. It's meant to profit with all. We saw this even last week in Ephesians 4. You also see this in 1 Corinthians 14. For as much as you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church, to the building up of the church. The, the reason God has given you, gifted you, he intends for you to minister, you're created for ministry, the reason is for other people. It's meant to help them. It's meant to encourage them. It's meant to give to them. It's meant to build them up. It's meant to help them go further faster. It's meant to build up the body of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but just those truths alone, I'm going to give you one more, but those truths alone excite me. When I discovered this truth that I was not just created to ministry, so go just do some stuff around the church, but I was actually specifically designed by God with an intention in mind and that he had created me to do something special for him and that he actually wanted me to build the body of Christ. He wanted me to edify people. He wanted me to build up the body. He wanted me to serve. He wanted me to play a part. I thought that that was exciting. I thought that was awesome that I could play a role, that I could be used on Team Jesus, that I could be in the game, have a seat at the table. and be, So it excites me. I hope that it excites you. It also excites me that potentially over the next few weeks or months or this year that many of you will begin to discover your spiritual gift and the body of Christ is built up. It's, it's edified. It is encouraged. It's strengthened because of people discovering their spiritual gifts. That excites me. The potential that you would begin to unearth what it is God has given to you and you begin to employ it and use it as a tool to build the body of Christ, that is when church gets beautiful. When people are ministering in their wheelhouse, how God has equipped them, they're taking the manifestation of, of the spiritual gift and they're actually using it for the body of Christ. That's church done well. That's church done beautifully. And I would love for you to discover your spiritual gift. For me, it was, it was eye-opening, it was revelatory, it, was, it set my life, I talked about last week, on a trajectory that I could have never predicted when I discovered that teaching was primarily my spiritual gift. Not because I'm good or there's anything good in me, but I found that that was inside of me. I had this desire to do it. I wanted to transfer truth. I, I, I couldn't help but want to do that, and I found that there was even energy that came from that. But there was an excitement that, that came to me that there was this fuel that motivated me to want to do that. I could even say this, and don't be jealous, but you may be. Right now, I'm being energized because I'm putting my spiritual gift to use for the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ, like literally right now in this present moment. So I get to have energy right now. I get, to, I get to enjoy, I enjoy to death Sunday mornings, both the services, Sunday evening. I love being able to get to do this right here, and you can discover that as well. It may not be this right here, but there's something. There's something there for you to discover, for you to put to use for the body of Christ. What's the intention? 
It's meant to build up other people. It's meant to help other people. Lastly, distribution of the gifts. Now, I'm going to read the next few verses, but before I do, I do want to qualify the next few verses, okay? Number one, it's frankly beyond the scope of my message to go really in-depth on verses 8 through 11. I would love to. Some other time when we're preaching through 1 Corinthians, we will. Really, it's beyond the scope of my message. But some of you have already read ahead. Some of you know what's there. And your curiosity needs to be satisfied. So I'm going to do my best to satisfy your curiosity without taking too long and explaining too much. These, there are two passages in the Bible that vividly list spiritual gifts. They're pretty easy to remember because they both are chapter 12. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. They're right next to each other. Chapters 12. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Now, these are spiritual gifts that are listed according to Paul. Now, I will say this. I don't think that the lists given in 12 and 12 are exhaustive. I think they're meant to be explanatory and helpful, but I do not believe that they are exhaustive, that he lists every spiritual gift that there ever was. But we're going to take the spiritual gifts that we know are clearly listed in Scripture, and I'm going to do my best to categorize them for you and and help you a little bit. I will say that if you read 30 books on spiritual gifts, they'll be categorized 30 different ways. Hardly anybody agrees on how exactly to group them, even if you can group them. But I'm going to give you the Mark Likens best shot at grouping them together. So here we go, distribution of the gifts. Let me read 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Don't get nervous on me, okay? So I'm just going to read the Bible. Some of you are going to get nervous, but I'm I'm just going to read the Bible. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit to every man severally as he will. So he lists them, and then says all of these are meant to be together. They're all from the same spirit that he's divvying out. Who gets what? You don't get to choose. He divvies it out. Romans 12. The bottom line of Romans 12 is that what you've been given, use it. That's the bottom line of these gifts that are listed. But the, the, the real intention is Paul's trying to say, if you've been given this, use it. Don't set it on the shelf. But I'm going to read them to you. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Ministry, let us wait on our ministering. He that teacheth, on teaching. He that exhorteth, on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth, with diligence. He that showeth mercy, with cheerfulness. So those are the two lists that we clearly have defined in Scripture. Let me try to group them for you to help you sort them in your mind. So I'm going to hit this quickly. So I'll talk fast if you listen fast. First, there's teaching and leadership gifts. Okay, so there's, there's several of these that I would say are meant for teaching and leadership. One is just called administration or leadership or ruling. That's in Romans 12. And that's not to be the big shot, but that's to see the big picture and to be able to direct people and to, and to lead people. Uh, the one is teaching. Teaching is just this inner desire to clarify truth, this desire to search things out, this desire to find what is, what is true and to validate it, uh, to, to transfer that truth even to other people. Uh, one is exhortation. This is in Romans 12. It's, it's the ability to just encourage people to love Jesus and, and serve him more. And some of you have that gift. I don't personally have to work at that one, but some of you naturally, you're just encouraging. And I love you. Thank you for being encouraging. One is wisdom. And this is not, I'm intelligent, this is not common sense, it's actually kind of uncommon sense. It's God has given wisdom that 
surpasses human understanding that I just, I have wisdom on, on what to do or not to do. A discerning of spirits, 1 Corinthians 12 mentions this one, to be able to discern what's of God and what's not of God. Satan's a master counterfeiter. Paul helps to give us all some, some instruction. What does it do with Jesus? That helps you discern if it's spiritual or not. But some people are just naturally gifted to be able to discern what's spiritual and what's not. Warning, if you have this gift but your spouse does not, you likely think your spouse is unspiritual. They're not unspiritual. They may be, but they're probably not. They just don't have your spiritual gift. They're gifted in a different way. You're like, they just want to smile and encourage people all the time. It's because they have exhortation and you have discerning. You're built differently. So use them differently. Don't judge other people. All right, service gifts. So there's some leading and some teaching. There's also service gifts. Most of these are in first, Romans 12, one's in, in 1 Corinthians 12. A ministry and service. It's just meeting needs in a practical way. Paul lists that gift. He lists giving. And you can't use this as an excuse to get out of giving. You can't say, I don't have the, the spiritual gift of giving, so I'm not going to give. No, we're all meant to give, but some people, it's just easy for them to give. Some of you, we have missions conference, and you're like, I just want to pour it all out. Just get, I will empty my pockets, take it all. Others of you are sitting there like, don't leave me alone. <laughs> now, why is that? Well, part of the reason is some of you have the spiritual gift of giving. You just naturally want to give, and you want to meet needs in, in a practical way. Faith, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we all have a, a measure of faith, but... God has given some people this as a spiritual gift. You take like a, like a George Mueller in church history. That guy had faith that, I mean, it's crazy when you read about his life and what he did and the millions of dollars he got by faith for these orphans. It's amazing. Some people have faith. Mercy, to identify and to comfort people, to empathize, to sympathize. I'm not great at that one, but I'm glad that some of you are. Uh, we should understand in, in all of these, you take serving or giving or faith or mercy, we're all meant to grow in those areas. We're all meant to, to, to have faith and to be merciful because God's merciful, certainly. But some people are spiritually gifted and that just, it's, they're energized by it. They are the, the, God intends for them to do that in great ways. So I'll say lastly, sign gifts. This is where some of you are going to get nervous. Uh, sign gifts. So I could spend a lot of time talking about this. If you want to have a more in-depth conversation, email me, call me. We'll sit down and we'll do it. Uh, but let me list six here that are clearly li listed in, in the Bible. Uh, one is knowledge. So this is the ability to know things. This is 1 Corinthians 12 that you would not otherwise know unless God told you. Okay, so take Peter with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira sold the land. They come before Peter, say, Peter, here's the money. How did Peter know that that wasn't all the money? Did Peter call the accountant up? I'm like, hey, no, I believe it's Peter had the spiritual gift of knowledge here that he knew something that he humanly should not have known, but he knew you're shortchanging God here. So, so there's knowledge. Now, biblically, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 8, this actually is done away with, and it, and it is no longer. Uh, healings, 1 Corinthians 12. Does God heal? Absolutely. Sometimes miraculously, sometimes through medicine. But God absolutely does heal. I will say, I've never personally met someone that had this gift. If I did meet someone that had this gift, I'd take them to the hospital and I'd have them heal people. I would not have them stand on a platform and get money from people trying to, trying to be a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So if someone wants money for their spiritual gift, red flag, run from them. Uh, miracles, 1 Corinthians 12. Miracles often come in clusters in the Bible. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the end times. We're told, according to Revelation, that some really miraculous stuff is going to happen. I don't know someone who has this gift at the moment, but I'm not limiting God, and I can't see anything biblically where it's been done away with. Prophecy. 
So, so don't confuse prophecy with preaching. Many have done that, and it's to your detriment if you do. If you read preaching, and every time you see prophecy in the Bible, you won't understand a lot. So prophecy is really the ability to, to foretell to know what's going to happen and talk about it. Sometimes prophets are, are scriptural. Other times, like Acts, you see that Paul, someone comes to him and prophesies, Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest you. They're going to take you. How did that guy know it? He had the gift of prophecy. So that, that was a legitimate gift. I say was, past tense, because according to 1 Corinthians 13, 8, prophecy was done away with. We have the prophecy, all that you need to know right here, and that is no longer valid biblically. Uh, tongues. 1 Corinthians 12 mentions this. Once again, this is discontinued in 1 Corinthians 13.8. We're told that tongues would cease. Along with tongues is the interpretation of tongues. If I'm going to set someone's teeth on edge, it's probably right there. But it's okay because it's what the Bible says. So 1 Corinthians 13.8 tells us that tongue would cease. I am, our churches, we are cessationists, meaning we believe that. We believe that tongues did, in fact, cease and that that's no longer a valid gift of the Spirit. Uh, bottom line, people did speak in tongues. Peter at Pentecost got up, talked. He never learned that guy's language or that guy's language, but they, he was able to converse with them and they were able to understand. How did that happen? Supernatural. It was a spiritual gift. It was something that took place that was, that was supernatural in nature, but it has biblically been discontinued. Here's the bottom line of today. Most of you, you have so many probably questions and, and will spin in. I'd love to have a more detailed conversation. That's all I have time for. Here's the bottom line of today. You, according to 1 Corinthians 12, we are not to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. We're not, I, we're not to ignore those passages of Scripture because there, there's something that not everyone would agree on or something. Not at all. We're not to be ignorant. We're supposed to understand. How do you know if it's really spiritual? What does it do with Jesus? We're supposed to know that there are different gifts that are given by the same Spirit, but they're given to us, and they're meant. They're all different in their tasks and their design, but they're meant to profit the body, to build up the body. They're meant to be discovered. They're meant for you. You have a tool to build with. And you may not know it. You may have never, you may have been ignorant concerning spiritual gifts in this passage of Scripture. Maybe no one ever taught you. Maybe just didn't know. But the bottom line is you have a tool to build with. You're meant to play a part. You have a seat at the table. You're a ten in some area. You're meant to minister. You're made for it. You're intended to be rich in good works. That's not a to-do list to, to just cross off. That's something that you're actually designed for, that you'll find fruitfulness in, you'll find fulfillment in when you minister how God has equipped you to minister. Here's what will happen for some of you if you begin to get plugged into ministry and off the sidelines, you begin to, to really try to seek what is my spiritual gift. What will happen is you'll be like my, my daughter Willow, like she was just a few months ago. Willow just a few months ago, she's, what, a little over a year now. But she, when she was six, seven months, and those of you that are parents, you know you've seen this happen. Willow discovered her hands. Now, they were there all along. Like, they were attached to her body. And she was wreaking havoc with them. But she discovered, it, normally it's about, you know, five to seven days, where kids are like, what is this? And all of a sudden, it begins to compute in their brain that, like, this is attached to me and that there. I can tell that to do that. And they discover a gift that they were born with. I was born naturally with brown eyes, spiritual or just natural birthday present. Spiritually, I was born with a, with a gift to teach. I believe that with all my heart. 
Now you were born spiritually with, with a birthday present wrapped up inside of you. And it may take you some discovering your hands, like, I had no idea that was there. I had no idea I could, I didn't know that I would find such, such joy. I didn't know that I would find such fulfillment. I didn't know that I would be so energized to, to go shovel snow or to work with those kids or to whatever the case may be. But you, you're equipped in some way. And I want to, I'm excited at the prospect of you discovering your spiritual gift of you discovering that ministry is beautiful, ministry is fun, ministry is motivating. It's not just something, uh, okay, I'll, I'll fill a hole and this is what I'm obligated to do, but you can find the beauty of how God created you and designed you with a spiritual gift in mind to minister for him. And I want that to happen for you. So how does that happen? The easiest way for you to discover your spiritual gift, I'll circle back to it, you, you just start to serve. And God will begin to teach and lead and make it clear to you what it is. Some of you are great with working with your hands. Some of you, I, I believe personally, I can't give you Bible for this. There's people that are gifted linguistically, meant to, you know, translate scriptures and go learn another language and lead those people to the Lord. I'm not, but you take Seth and Nicole Stokes, they have linguistic abilities that are crazy. They're just kind of natural to them. I would even say supernatural to them. But you have something. There's a, there's a tool that you're meant to build with and I want to help you discover it. So I hope that you'll be involved. I hope you'll fill out a ministry menu. I hope that you'll play a part and that you'll begin to discover what it is, what spiritual gift the Lord has wrapped up inside of you.